Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, Mining Community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep the Mining Podcast. And today's guest is Grant Budge, who's the founder of Integrity Media UK, who are tackling mental health through literature and creative writing. Um, Grant's originally from the uh, coal mining industry here in the UK, um, and he's going to, talk, going to uh, discuss and talk to us about mental health management within the mining industry, um, which is obviously an ever-increasing um, subject, I suppose, a lot of us men uh, don't like talking about mental mental health, um, and I think it probably does affect all of us in some uh, shape or form. Um, so, obviously, wanted to get Grant's expertise. Um, so, that's welcome, Grant, to the podcast. How are you doing, Grant? I'm doing really good. Thank you very much. That's good to hear. Um, yeah, so I just wondered if you can. Um, obviously, you you're from the from originally from the. Uh, mining industry i wonder if you can just tell us a little bit about your career um i suppose from when you did start in the mining industry and how your sort of career developed to what it is today yeah sure so um i was probably i think probably one of the last uh, mining engineers to graduate from imperial college um, um in the ever demising uh, education industry for the mining engineers in the uk uh, I left there and joined what was the uh privatized coal industry in the uk i spent about eight years there um, did some work um, underground, ended up working in the plant and equipment division for a while, and then latterly got into um, process engineering, coal preparation, um, and building new plants for some of the sites we had around the country. Um, there wasn't a good future for coal in the UK. Um, had to decide what I wanted to do. I was actually married by that point uh, to a very successful chemical engineer. She didn't fancy going off to some of the extremes of the world <laughs> that mining could take us to. Uh, so I jumped industries, got into um, ultimately got into the iron and steel industry, which I think quite a number of people in the mining sector can naturally fit into because it's you know heavy equipment focused. Um, I spent a few years there uh, working in an international capacity for a company called Hasco Environmental, um, and then from then I kind of find my passion, which was uh, well first passion I'll put it that way, clean energy. Um, and I started working for a company that was developing at the time what was going to be the leading um, carbon capture and storage power generation project in Europe and took that through all the way up through uh, signing off um, on the information memorandum to take it to financing. Um, I then kind of stuck with that afterwards and I've been doing consultancy working for a lot mostly with startup companies, new innovation technologies, helping people trying to bring new techs to market that can have added value either for decarbonizing or sustainability and then more recently gone into this venture which may seem like a, a huge pivot to make when you've turned 50, <laughs> um, engineer to uh, um, leading a publishing company. I'm still doing the engineering work, but this piece, um, I've been an amateur author for over 20 years. And, you know, you mentioned there again about men being finding difficult to talk. I had the problem about five years ago and I had the issue that I couldn't communicate. And I ended up writing my story, which has now been released <laughs> And it's after I did that, I just decided, well, this could be actually good for other people. Um, and then I gradually formed that into this idea that it's integrity media, and we kicked off uh, a year ago. 
So now I do this half my time and I do uh, clean technology stuff the other half of the time. Yeah. Um, so I was just wondering if you can just give us an overview of Integrity Media uh, and I suppose what, what you're all about. And then obviously I want to go into some questions around um, not necessarily your experience, but obviously you're an expert in the field of mental health. So I've got some questions around that and hopefully that can uh, that can help um, people, our listeners that are listening that may be going through certain certain situations. So just wanted me to tell us about um, the company. Yeah, sure. I mean, you, you kind of touched on that. So the idea behind it is where we work with authors who have or are suffering, you know, poor mental health challenges to use creative writing, you know, as a means to navigate that situation and there's a number of stages in going through mental health challenges you know first and foremost is acceptance of where you're at which a lot of people do struggle with um when you're actually suffering you know mental health there can be a lot of noise in your head and it's hard to articulate thoughts and you know creative writing storytelling kind of you know gives you a framework to go through that so we work with authors to do that um i do tell everybody that i'm not into we don't want to get into um publishing celebrity works because the key thing for me here is to try and was to try and normalize it and for that they need to be relatable stories of everyday people you know the challenges that we have in society um so our focus is yeah is very much the 99 percent of the world rather than the one percent of the world that's dealing with different issues um so yeah in that regard so we're very niche in that respect we respect people's rights to they may not want like myself to write it as grant budge they might want to write it under another name because, you know, it's the first step for them. They want to be, feel comfortable. Um, we have one author who's told his story, but he's written it in a um, fictional way. So every event that happens, 95% of it happened, but he's constructing a fictional story. So it's whatever the individual is comfortable with. So we do do, you know, the fictional route or the uh, non-fictional. Um, and with that, you know, we, we operate as a standard publishing company. Um, although, and I'll I'll talk about this a bit more later on when we uh, hopefully when we talk about ways of dealing with mental health, particularly in the mining industry, um, we've also developed a, like a B two B program that we work with companies on, which we work with them kind of as a, an employee assistance program, um, but using again the creative writing template, and we talk you know we work with people going through the process to help them. So with the the stories that these authors produce, where 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 do they go? Do you do you produce books? Do you produce a, a magazine, a newsletter, or do the stories go into particular publications? So on the stuff we're doing at the moment, um, which are effectively full novels, they're getting published. So um, we sell direct for ourselves. We're on Amazon, Waterstones, Foils. You know, um, We're doing the usual hard sluggers and independent publish, trying to get people to actually put it in products in shops. <laughs> hopefully we'll have success there and yeah we're just in the process of converting to ebooks so when people write a novel with us like i say we're a traditional publishing company we'll follow all the usual outlets to try and get the story out and promote it you know as best we can um on the short story side of it 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 uh our hope is that we can get enough people um who are willing to share those short stories so that we can release them as collections of works and ideally, I'd like those like to be themed collections of work. So people have had similar experiences, but dealt with them in slightly different ways. Such so that, you know, I'm going to say, so if somebody's suffering depression, you know, you can go and get a collection of 20 short stories about people who have been in different environments, but suffered depression and how they went about, you know, going through that. 
Um, so it becomes you know informative, supportive. But back to that buzzword I used a minute ago, it normalizes it for the people who are suffering now. You know, because we tend to still think that mental health isn't something that's normal. You know, to a greater extent, and that that's the real thing that needs to you know I think that needs to change. Um, why is there a problem with <laughs> mental health in the mining industry, or even more directly, is there a problem that actually needs resolving? So yeah. Um, good question not just the mining sector every every company i talk with us you know is there really a problem um the the challenge here is that this actually because we stigmatized mental health over so many years um and people perceive it as a weakness nobody's really talked about it so really good credible statistics are hard to find um Although, you know, there's certain countries, Australia is a good illustration, who has started to do some, you know, more detailed studies specifically in the mining sector about challenges people are facing. But at a high level, um, globally, across everybody, about one in four people will suffer mental health challenge any year. Um, so, uh, Well, one, one person out of four. Every four will have a mental every, health issue. Every year. Every year. That's, so, that's quite a large proportion of, of people that will experience or go through certain issues that is related to mental health yeah and whether they know it or not yeah and that's an average so you know you've got the extremes around that depending on what circumstances or environments people are working in which is then kind of back to your point what's the landscape in the mining sector now there's no i couldn't we can't find any directly equivalent you know ratio because i say it's early days on qualifying quantifying these things um, but there was a survey done in Australia a few years ago, I think about four years ago, um, and the, specifically in the mining side, asking the questions about um, who felt either mild or high stress or no stress against a bunch of criteria. And the, the criteria are either work-related, they were lifestyle-related, or they were family-related issues. And on the work-related, greater than 40% said they felt stressed of some sort. On the lifestyle, greater than 60%. And on the content, you know, the, the family losses, which kind of really are a consequence of the other two, um, you know, they were up at, I think it was 50%. So just by default, you know, stress usually is the foundation of many mental health challenges. So they didn't ask the question, are you suffering mental health? But by, you know, because on average, more than 50% across those three criteria were saying, yes, <laughs> I'm feeling it. You know, you can then say, okay, well, it's reasonable then to assume after that, that you know, someone close to 50% is probably struggling in some way with a mental health challenge. So it's pretty significant. What are some of the signs that someone could be experiencing uh, mental health issues? Um, and I suppose if you can just tell us a little bit about some of those signs and then also then relate it maybe to the mining industry, just so obviously those that are listening could be going through that particular um, issue. And if they are, they can obviously then at least now look to address it. Yeah. So there's two ways of looking at that. There's the person who's suffering and acknowledging it themselves and what signs they should look for. And then there's other people looking, you know, looking at you know, their community to see if they can identify people. And um, I'll deal with the latter first, because one, one issue is nine times out of 10, you won't know that somebody's dealing with a mental health issue because they don't want to convey that message, they'll hide it. And when I came when I came, you know, put my hand up and said, I'm suffering, all my friends and family around me were like, really? You know, and I had one you know, reasonably good friend who actually read my book about a month ago. And when she finished it, she, she said, I had no idea 
you know, where you got to. Um, I said, well, that's okay. Nobody did. She said, yeah, but we sat across coffee tables from each other and I didn't have a clue. So the first point of call is when you're looking from the outside, usually people don't want to show how they're feeling. So it's really hard to see. Um, he is showing signs, then, you know, it'll be things like poor concentration, you know, being easily distracted, um, unusually emotional, potentially, compared to how you knew you know them before. Um, feelings of feeling low without any particular explanation, you know, excessive tiredness, um, struggling to make decisions. These are kind of all of the the signs that you may be able to see. But in a work context, obviously, you need to have had experience with somebody for a while to be able to know the difference. So, you know, if it's a new employee, you're still you're flying blind. You might just think they're not a good new employee, you know, which is bad. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, what were some of your signs then when you then decided, right, I, I, have, I have an issue? What, what were some of the signs that you were experiencing? Uh, for me... All of the above, I was acknowledging myself, um, feelings of numbness, feelings of, um, you know, just sitting down, wanting to go to sleep to pass the time. Um, in my work, I was identifying that um, I was finding it harder to communicate effectively on some things. Um, not, actually, I'm going to change that. In my home life, it was getting harder to communicate because the odd thing for me was, um, it's a bit like an interview, but every day becomes an interview. So when you go to work in the morning, you put on the facade and you are the person everybody's expecting you to be. So in a work environment, nobody was really seeing it. But then the counter to that is that was completely exhausting for me. So then when the end of the day came and I switched off, then it was like every day was just a crash. <laughs> um, so, but I was seeing those things, certain home life, irritableness, you know, that I couldn't explain, um, you know, all the, all, all the above. In reality, and what would you say? Obviously, you've been you've been in the mining industry. What are some of the things that you think that people could be experiencing or going through within a within the mining industry, where you think that person may need that person could be starting the experience of having mental health issues and challenges? It, obviously, you mentioned a few of the things that I suppose everyone that will be going through that process will experience. But if you relate it to the mining industry, is there certain examples that you could give where those that are listening, for instance, um, could be experiencing that within their work environment? And then that could, uh, and then obviously the people listening could then acknowledge that uh, and obviously then make necessary changes. Yeah. Um, I think uh, for me, in my experience in mining and working, you know, underground in the UK, I always say, the mining community is an an odd or very different community with a lot of other industries because you know when you work in a mine you're not necessarily working alongside somebody but there's up to 200 other people on that shift with you who are responsible for everybody's safety and and how things perform and it's it's uh it's very much the extremes of a team environment um but there's a lot of pressure that then comes with that in all those different jobs in that architecture that people take on board. And then when you lay over that, the very frequently hostile and dangerous environments that we're operating in, which, you know, whether we acknowledge or not, we, we, we freely walk into, you know, um, the cage and ride down the shaft. Um, it, it becomes a way of life. But, 
you never actually forget really the risks you're walking into every day. Um, they're always there. So that's another thing that builds up. Um, and again, depending on where you are in the world, you've got unsocial shift patterns, which, you know, have consequential effects. You've got this uh, fly in, fly out in a lot of locations, which has another layer. So we accept all these things, I guess, in the, in the work environment, because that's the industry we chose to go in. And I guess the harder thing is then acknowledging how they then have an impact on the things that we should be finding the fun out of in life, which is when we get to the family, get to socialize and get to meeting friends. And we don't always see the stress points, you know, that it pulls on that. It's like um, I've had times when I've been not in the mining side, you know, flying away and coming home at the weekends. And it put huge pressure on the weekend to be a good weekend. But by default, then, because you accepted the pressure, it wasn't a good weekend. It was, you know, it went completely the opposite direction. So I think there's a lot of things inherently in a mining environment that those bring those stresses that can push people to, um, I can say breaking point, but it's, it's never one or the other for me. Um, when I've talked to companies recently, it's always been the case of, yeah, look, you've got all these issues and concerns you need to have in the workplace. But what you've got to remember also is when that employee turns up in the morning, they haven't left the issues that they've got at home at home. And you can't expect them to. <laughs> so at some point, you have to accept these come together and they come together in your community. And that's what you need to be looking at to try and deal with. Yeah. And I suppose like any company, um, KPIs, where companies have individual KPIs or team KPIs, um, which then puts extra pressure on the team, the company, and yeah. always, always, obviously always striving, striving to be better than the previous month, the previous year, et cetera, which obviously creates stress. Would you say that could be a major factor as well, why someone could, uh, I suppose the stress levels will go up because if you're behind the eight ball, you need to get in front of in front of it. And obviously that takes a lot of pressure, um, a lot of stress, a lot of work. Um, could that then put you into that situation where all these other triggers could happen around mental health yeah possibly but i don't want to fall foul of every other company out there and say kpis aren't important <laughs> you no. know they're, they're they're essential and managing to them is important but i think the important thing is how people manage to them and i you know some of the experience i've had in the mining industry uh, okay and they're, they're a few years ago now but the, the historically there's always been very much a command and control mentality it's that type of approach it's there's there's not so much the softer side of you know, working with people and driving a team. Um, and I think that's where, you know, KPIs become something that they don't need to be. This, that's your target, hit your target or else type of mentality. That's where the stress comes in. If it's more, you know, proactive, look, that is the target. Keep me appraised of how things are evolving. Keep me appraised of something that means we're not going to meet it. And it's not a case of if we're not going to meet it, it's your problem. It's going to, if it's not going to meet it, we need to get together and figure out how we meet it. And it's, it's that more proactive approach. The so KPIs are good. They can bring stress, but it's more about, more about I think, how people manage the situation than anything else. Yeah. Um, and something else I just thought about, obviously, the mining industry, they work long hours. Um, and sometimes they are working six and seven days a week, which is probably different to other industries. I mean, yeah. you, you probably would have experienced, you're probably working 10, 12-hour shifts for instance other yeah. industries do that as well um but you might be in harsher conditions working in the mining industry whether you're working remotely in um really hot conditions 
Um, and there's obviously some mines in really cold conditions. Yeah. But the amount of hours, total amount of hours that you're doing is probably a lot more than a lot of other industries. Again, could that be a trigger? And how? And again, how, how would you help people with that? Um, it's so, I mean, it is, you're right. You mean, people, you can be working six days a week, 60 hours. And part of that falls back to this fly in, fly out mentality. When you have somebody in the workplace and there's not a lot else to do apart from work, then we have shift patterns that support that. Um, and it does um, build up levels of exhaustion, which hopefully an employer is feeding into what their fly-in, fly-out shift patterns are looking like, so people get the right amount of a break. But it's also about employers providing the right resources for those off hours in whatever the environment is, give the opportunity for people to wind down, deconstruct, feel like they're part of a society or community, make sure they're not feeling isolated. You know, it's it's giving them the, the right architecture for a social engagement or a release outside of the work you know um some places in, and again i'm going back quite a few years i've been minds that were really good at doing that you know where you've got your your town that everybody's living in and but they've got the right resources you go out and you feel like you've just gone home for the night rather than you're just going back to a you know a one-bedroom apartment waiting for the next shift to start so those are the types of things that certainly you know employers can focus on to help um what are the issues with supporting people struggling with uh, poor mental health um, I think for, for, there's, there's two big things for me, and you know, and they come back to um, they start with communication, and and then secondly trust, which then ultimately leads to culture. So the whole thing about this, and you said earlier on, you know, mining industry heavily male dominated. I think it's probably greater than eighty percent male dominated, and we're not the best at talking. So you have to have a, a system that allows people to communicate and feel like they can engage. But then to be able to do that, you need to know that when you disclose something to somebody, you can trust them enough to have the respect to support you in the way you need to be um, supported. So there's there's a, a journey that needs to go take place there. Um, and that will probably be very much a one-on-one type of journey. So um, employers should be looking at ways, how can we uh, create that trust and demonstrate and it is really demonstrating that we're taking this seriously that yeah we want people to come forward that it's not going to be a detriment to them that we need want to understand and we want to find ways of supporting better so that's that's one piece but then on the back of it you know for me after you've done on that one-on-one it's making sure that the community actually as a whole is moving forward because it's not just a single journey like we, we were talking about you've asked the questions you know what triggers mental health challenges some of them are societal. They're the behaviours in the society, in the community, in the culture that's being fostered. So there's no point in having the one-on-one if you sort the person, you help the person out and they feel better and you chuck them back in the same pot of piranhas effectively. And I'm giving an extreme illustration there. You know, So you have to start changing the environment that they go back into and educating and gradually just moving everybody up in the same journey. Yeah. What can mining companies do um, and I suppose you can't just say a mining company has to do this. It has to be people within the mining company. Um, what kind of process or system or project, and obviously anyone that's listening could bring these up maybe with senior management, and it might be someone that's already gone going through that particular process. Um, what, can, what, what have you seen that's worked well within organisations around the mental health issue? Do they? Is there a, 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 a set process, a system that a company imp- implements into their business around this? So, for instance, um, 
and I'm thinking off the top of my head here, if someone is struggling through through mental illness or they believe that they they have uh, the start of it, they go and see a particular person in an organisation that everyone knows that that person, if you've got issues, you go and see that particular person and you will go through a, a particular schedule to minimise that. Uh, I mean, what have you seen in companies, would you say, uh, that's worked well, which the mining industry could then um, adopt? So, I mean, a lot of things companies do kind of fall under three pillars, which, you know, health promotion, um, on-site support and external support. Um, and I, th- I, I've not seen illustrations explicitly in the mining industry, but I would imagine they'll follow a similar sort of template. So from the health promotion side of it, that is the education, training of managers, um, even health assessments to keep a track on how people are. That came, comes back to my point about trust and people feeling they can disclose things. You then got the on-site support, which you kind of talked about, which is having physical workplace policies, making sure that people understand them um, and are there supported, and putting in place a lot of companies are doing mental health, sorry, mental health first aiders. So that, that's the person you're talking about, you know, the right person you can go talk to who has some foundation and grounding in it. Um, they can also look at ways, you know. So if we've talked about how challenging the mining environment is. You know, there are opportunities to find ways of restructuring some jobs to take away certain stress points. May not be forever, but it could be for a period of time to help a person, you know, to you know get beyond where they are. So that type of job role accommodation can be a good thing. But then the big one is the external, and for that, everybody, you know, the acronym of uh, the past, I don't know, five ten years has been EAP, Employee Assistance Programs. And that's a, that can be a mixed bag of a multitude of things. You know, that's the access to counsellors, psychologists at, at one end through to, you know, access this um, platform to get information on depression or this platform to get information on eating disorders or, or download this app and learn how to meditate, you know, or just breathe or um, find mindfulness or track your well-being. And I, you know, all these are good in my opinion, but uh, Unfortunately, my view on a lot of it is it's it's going to be really politically incorrect. It's a bit like ESG criteria with some companies. It's ticking a box to say we've done it, to brand it, to say we've done it. So I've met it. I've put something in place. Let's see how that works out. It's not, for me, proactive enough. And and yeah, I, you probably, I don't want to get into selling stuff. But what we're trying to do is very much be more on the front foot about it. You know, so um, when I see we we'd go in and we run a program, and our program is very much focused around using that creative platform and short story writing for people to put all their thoughts in a structure, deal with their emotions, but then also at the end of it, through conclusion, start focusing on the future, what I want, you know, from my future, not dwelling, you know, continuing on the past. Very much a self help, self awareness process. But so unlike a lot of the EAP stuff. You know, we are saying that we want to be direct. We want to engage direct. We want to understand direct. And once we've done that, hopefully that's enabled that, aided that individual. But then with that information, we repackage that. We profile the stories to be, to be able to advise the company what the EAP program should look like if they've got gaps. Um, we develop bespoke um, supervisory management training programs. To, so it's not just a mental health first aider who you go to. So there's a core competence to support people, you know, um, by direct line management within the workplace. 
And then my last piece about communities, we then restructure them again based on you know what's going on currently in the environment and create a, a suite of toolbox talks that the company then over a period of time can you know brief out to their workforce. So everybody's trying to move in the same direction, understanding the issues and indeed how they may be contributing to those issues. So I think there are processes there, packages there. Are they working as well as you could do? No. I mean, if you go back to the beginning, we said 25% people suffer a mental health challenge in a year. Um, last year, I think EAP usage was registered at about 11% on average of a workforce. So A, we still got a huge gap before we get to the 25%. And B, they can't tell you how, how effective that 11% was. All they can tell you, it's a bit like a website, somebody clicked on to have a look. You don't know what they got out of that experience and whether it was good, bad, or just did nothing. So, and that's why, again, I think, you know, opening people up to being more direct and hopefully with our model, pulling them into our community of people who have had exactly the same issues can give them the confidence and the strength and the trust to be able to engage in that process. Yeah. How do, obviously, listeners that are listening to this podcast or watching on the YouTube channel, how... How can they get in contact with you? And I don't mean just emailing you. I mean, what what is the process if they're if they're feeling some of these challenges? Um, what is the process that they will go through if they wanted to sort of reach out to you? So we work in two ways. I mean, I mentioned you know the B two B service that's direct with the company. So if we did that, we engage with the company, we set up in the company, we we. Um, socialize the opportunity to enroll and then there'll be a program set out and they they go through the process there um and all of that we do on an anonymous basis effectively um if they don't if that do doesn't happen then their company and they want to talk well we're open for submissions all the time um we we are making accessible our program so if an individual wants to sign up and uh, and, and do it in their own time and then submit at the end of it to us they can do that or they can just, if they think they, you know, they don't need the program, but they want to try just creative writing for their own sake and submit something, well, we're always open to submissions. Um, um, like every other company, get on the website, you'll find all the details that you need to there. Yeah. But certainly in the end, the work environment for mining companies, our big emphasis would be talking to the, if they've got a well-being officer, you know, we're trying to engage with them, or if not them, then the HR directors to try and get them to understand how we can help um, not just improve things, but you know, starting to quantitatively and qualitatively demonstrate how mental health can improve things. Um, I mean, because one of the things that people don't consider, and again, this isn't mining related, but in the UK, in 2022, in the UK, about 57% of lost working days were associated with a mental health issue, with a cost of re UK revenues of about 45 billion. So when we, you know, when people talk about things like this, they may think, you know, what's the payback? There's a very big tangible benefit by improving people's mental health and the communities that people exist within. Um, and as a conclusion, I just wondered if you could just tell us, um, I suppose that the people that are listening to this podcast are in the mining industry. Um, I just wonder if you can give us a, a bit of a conclusion that if someone that could be experiencing it what they need to do themselves to address their their issues like you said not not many of us not many of us uh, males like to talk about this and may hide it what can you what advice can you give to people that may be in that sort of situation that probably feels that things are not right but they need fixing 
but they don't know what to do. What what kind of process can they go through? And I suppose that's a mind thing. What 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 are the first steps that they could take? So for me, the foundation to moving forward is about being able to was about being able to effectively communicate. So if somebody feels they can just straight articulate how they're feeling, then find somebody, whether it's a friend, family member, somebody who can listen and doesn't think doesn't engage in the process of trying to fix it, because it's not about fixing somebody. Yeah. But somebody you can actually explain things to, because just getting it out there inherently helps. You know, it's when you, you're bottling the story up inside you that you struggle then to put it in place. So that's that is the most robust starting point. Um, and you know, if it's not a family member or a friend, if that's not working, you need you know actual support. Then you know, reach out to one of the um, either the NHS or in the UK we've got Mind or Young Minds. There's a lot of organisations out there who can help and give guidance and information, all on a you know pretty much an anonymous basis. Nobody knows. You know, do that, but don't feel that you're on your own and isolated. Keep remembering, you know, if you're listening to this now, keep remembering I st- we started this by saying one in four people have a challenge each year. It is normal. You know, if you can find a place to accept that, then you can find a way to start moving forward. Mm-hmm. And also find, you know, there's good coping mechanisms out there and they're not, they're not, not you know, unusual. Um, you know, eat well, exercise, you know, find a way to release. Um, get outside and yeah every now and then if you want to lay on the floor and just breathe slowly you know all, all help they do but i think you said right at the beginning different things help different people it's finding what's right for you but being able to talk about it communicate that really is you know the best starting point you can make yeah i was going to ask is there anything else that you want to that you want to say and concluding but i think the last last sentence there that you said um about exercise eating well um ta- I, I suppose and again thinking about the mining industry is taking time out of the industry not just on your um breaks for instance on your your r breaks um is there anything else that as a conclusion or anything else that you want to add um n- no not really other than you know I, I I do believe you know communicating is a good way, and if you're struggling to articulate it, then just consider you know what we're trying to do. You know, writing it down it doesn't have to be with us, but it is a good way to actually help yourself move forward um, and to understand and and put in context you know where you've been. Hmm. Grant, really appreciate your time. Um, it's a obviously important subject. Um, like you said, the mining industry is dominated by males. Us males don't like speaking about these kinds of issues, um, but hopefully you've given some confidence in people that could be experiencing some of these issues that you've mentioned uh, through this podcast. Um, if anyone wants to reach out to you, if they've got any questions, um, how can they go about doing that? Um, what are, are you on social media and what are those details? Yeah, sure. So, um God, you task me to remember all of them now. Uh, I can, sorry. I can, put, I can put them in the show notes. You can send them to me if you can't, them. If you can't remember um, off the top of your head. Well, the easiest one's the website, which is um, integrity-media.co.uk. Um, but then a lot of our social media is is branded around our trademark, which is rediscover, rebuild, relaunch. So, but I can send you those, and if you can include them, that's great. And then people can see the information we share, including when we're promoting books of people who have been through similar you know programs that might help. Yeah, certainly. Um, like I said, really appreciate your time. Um, and those that are listening, um, hope you enjoyed this episode. 
please share it amongst um I, I suppose you don't even need to necessarily just show it uh uh, share it with people within the mining industry it can be people outside of the mining industry as well um, and if you are potentially experiencing any of the issues that obviously grants discuss maybe you want to write some of it down it might be easier please get in contact with grant um, maybe writing could be the answer if you're not able to communicate and speak to speak to someone so um yeah, have a think about it. If there is any issues, there's obviously always help out there. Um, so don't be don't be afraid to ask. Um, appreciate you for listening. And until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.